Comedy Schools Radio Network.com, where it makes a big difference. Uh, does that make a difference for those of you watching on YouTube on the Comedy Schools channel or on Facebook Live on my personal page, Tony Visick? Um, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, moms and dads, children of all persuasions. You are watching Living on a Thin Line with Tony Visick. I happen to be Tony Visick. That is why it's with me. Um, that's right. I just snuck a lozenge in my mouth. Did you see it? You did not. Uh, this is your daily, your daily diversion from all the anger, anxiety, weirdness, and hoopla going on in the world today. And man, it just keeps coming, doesn't it? It just keeps coming, you know, but maybe you're like me, maybe you're doing the smart things, you're staying safe, you know, you're being careful, you're being careful with your health, you're being careful with your family, being careful with your finances, and you're going to get out of this, okay, you're going to get out of this, okay, believe you me, you definitely will. Um, what have I got to tell you about? Uh, kind of excited that tonight at Wednesday at 6 p.m. I will be uh, conducting a class two of my stand-up comedy workshop, my advanced stand-up comedy workshop. And if you want to see sometimes the fruits of my labor, uh, you can see them on Sunday nights. On Sunday nights, uh, all you have to do is go to comedyschools.com or to my Facebook page, Tony Visick, and buy a ticket to Tony Visick Presents Sunday Nights Funnier where I present some of the best uh, local Phoenix talent and beyond for your listening and viewing pleasure. Portions of that when you attend one of our Sunday night shows, you are buying three things. You're buying entertainment, and boy, howdy are you. Uh, also, you are buying into the American economy because we use portion of the proceeds to pay the comics, and you're helping feed the people because portion of the proceeds then go to local food banks in my area. So uh, three things for 10 bucks. Things haven't been that good since the early 70s when it was $2 would fill up enough of your gas tank, $2 to buy you a bottle of Thunderbird, and $2 to buy you a hit of acid. And damn it, you had yourself a Friday night. By the way, I do not, uh, this is not, I, I, I stand against illegal drug use and drinking and driving. So uh, don't do any of that stuff, okay? Um, what I got to tell you today. You know, I was, I've been so busy with, um, I'll tell you what, I'm a little upset. I'm, I've been busy with the minutia of my business, dealing with my insurance agent, dealing with uh, the payroll company, um, uh, uh, dealing with a couple other things of that nature. Wasn't even really get, able to get to the good creative stuff that I was hoping I could get to today. Uh, spent a lot of time on hold with companies that I pay. Uh, to be uh, not snarky with me, but not treat me the way, treat me like uh, uh, God, which is how I'd like to be treated if I'm paying you. So, um, but what I'm upset about is I found out that a lot of the arts programs in one of the cities I do business in have received sizable grants, and I guess I'm upset with myself that I never, you know, if you come from where I come from, if you come from you know, you know what? Don't put on airs. Don't act fancy. Don't act, you know what? The only thing you get is what you work for. Don't, you know, if you come from all that, you know, my kid, my kids don't need your charity. If you come from that, sometimes you don't think you, you don't understand your own worth or value. Several of the people who are not competitors of mine, but in a similar businesses to mine have gotten sizable grants from a couple of cities, uh, uh, that I was not aware of. And I know I'm upset with myself for never looking into it. 
And I'm also upset that uh, organizations and groups that I've been very helpful and beneficial to uh, never informed me. I'm going to stick with being upset with myself about it. Not upset where I'm going to run around kicking myself in the ass all day. Because uh, then I'll pull a hamstring. Okay? And then I'll have a sore butt and a pulled hamstring. So, uh, pulled hamstring, sore butt. Not a good way to spend the day. Uh, but I'm going to be more cognizant of it. And I'm going to... Uh, uh, I'm going to be applying for these things that, that I deserve. So um, a lot of craziness out there. Uh, we're actually, right now, Shirley and I, the producer of this show, we're a little more in lockdown mentality than we were a couple of months ago. Uh, one in four tests are coming back positive in Arizona. Now, that could just be lucky to draw. It could just be the cards. Hey, look at that. You lost. Huh. Uh, maybe you should have bet more. Maybe you should have been more aggressive. One in four. So more people now have the coronavirus in Arizona than had it when the first lockdown happened in March. And most of the news out there says that they opened up too early. They opened up too damn early. And I understood the, um, the anxiety behind the first few weeks when a lot of us didn't see anybody. You know, it was weird because you see strangers at the grocery store, but you couldn't see your family. Um, and we all we all started loosened up a little bit. But the governor, uh, a lot of the governors and mayors and stuff really succumb to uh, an emotional pressure. Like, open up early. You need to open up. And now we're suffering the consequences of that because a lot of things are having, having to reclose. So I don't want to get too deep in the weeds with this stuff right now, but uh, friends of mine who are on unemployment, friends of mine who are on unemployment, whose jobs are gone, or the companies they work for are not reopening anytime soon, are going to see a lot of their unemployment or the emergency unemployment run out at the end of June. And this crap. What's that? It is the end of June. Uh, end of July, I'm sorry. This, uh, this, this stuff I'm hearing about... Um, uh, oh, this is making American workers lazy. Well, it's not. What it's doing is sustaining this whole damned economy right now. So a lot of the things that the governments did at the beginning in, in March and April, they're going to have to do again in July and August. In July and August. So like I said, I, I, I don't know if I did I correct myself. At the end of July, a lot of people's unemployment emergency fund is running out. And they're going to be in trouble. They're going to be in trouble. Okay, uh, in the entertainment business, uh, all my friends who were cruise ships and nightclubs and private events, all of this stuff, uh, there's nothing for them to go to right now. So what are they supposed to do? What are they supposed to do? So write your congressman, write your mayor, write your president and say, hey, we need to extend the unemployment benefits. We need to take a look at another stimulus package. We need to look at uh, uh, another round of uh, funding for small businesses, you know, and if we can get to the end of the year, beginning of next, when they come up with a virus uh, with a treatment, a vaccine, and it's looking like pretty sure they will, then we'll get out of this. Okay. 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 Uh, but if none of that works, <laughs> this next book might be helpful to you. Uh, this show is based on three things, ladies and gentlemen, three. Uh, it's on three platforms, Comedy Schools, RadioNetwork.com, YouTube, Comedy Schools Channel, Facebook Live. Uh, and we do three things. Uh, I, do a little, I do a little preaching at the beginning, I guess. I do a little preaching. 
then uh, it's based on interaction with you, the audience, with your questions and comments that you send send to me via uh, the social media apps. Um, it's also based on me showing you some knickknack or memorabilia or some oddity that I have here in the home office. And then I recommend two artists or two pieces of music uh, based on my vast vinyl album collection. Champ de Blasio just wrote, how can an independent contractor make it? I mean, not just comedians and actors, but musicians, yoga teachers, whatever. There is compassion for the government. Not only that, Champ, but if you look into some of these grants and programs, they're not available to home-based businesses. You know, a lot of these, you have to have a commercial space. You know, you have to have a storefront uh, there are some for home-based businesses, but that that uh, trench that trench has gotten even narrower, and so many people do work from home. Not meaning that they just sit at home all the time, but it's a home-based. A yoga teacher who doesn't have a yoga studio but goes to people's homes, or people come to her homes. Absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. You know, and it's a huge part of the American economy. All right, and as we moved away from a giant manufacturing base into a service information and technology-based economy. Um, a lot of people left, got left out in the cold because they weren't part of unions or big governments with big pensions, savings plans, 401ks. They just don't have them, you know? And we always, we always in this country wax poetic about the entrepreneur and the self-made person, okay? So if we want to continue to see entrepreneurs and self-made People and people decide they're going to act upon an idea they got in their head and move forward with it. They're going to have to be part of any sort of stimulus, aid, loan, and grant packages that, uh, as of yet, haven't even really been um, re-upped, but definitely need to, and they need to be involved. All right, like I said, uh, here's your little knickknack for today. Every once in a while, it's a book. Here's the book, and I don't know if you can read it on Facebook Live. <laughs> Because it might be backwards. I don't know if you can read, you can read it on YouTube. And the name of this book is <laughs> When to Rob a Bank. Now, I want you to keep in mind that we are not advocating the uh, robbing of banks. Although I've known a number of bank robbers in my day, oddly enough. Uh, this was a New York Times bestseller for the authors of Freakonomics, Stephen Levitt, Stephen Dubner, When to Rob a Bank, and 131 more warp suggestions and unintended rants. So uh, I don't know if we can find that exact page. Uh, let me see here. Uh, hooray for higher gas prices. The gang tax. Loss of version of the NFL. There's all kinds of weird things here. Oh, this is an interesting thing. An experiment in fake memoirs. Why are there so many fake memoirs in the world? The latest is Margaret Selzer's Love and Consequences. It's linked to an Amazon page, but no longer has an Amazon page. Uh, if you had written a memoir that would say 60% true, would you try to present it as a memoir or a novel? If you're an editor, a memoir, and your thoughts were 90% true, would you publish it as a memoir or a novel? Um, and here's why you publish it as a memoir. A true story gets a lot more media coverage than a lifelike novel. A true story generates more buzz in general, including potential film sales, lectures, opportunities, etc. And readers are engaged in a story on a more visceral level if the book is a memoir rather than fictional. And that's why a lot of artists will say, uh, writers will say they're putting out a memoir when a lot of it's fiction. So, um, you know, I can't find the exact portion here when the best time to rob a bank is. Uh, 
But uh, there is actually, here's the scary thing, is starting at some point in our lifetime, did you notice that there weren't bank guards anymore? Are you seeing some now because of COVID, security guards around? But uh, prior to that, for the last 10, 15, 20 years, no bank guards. No guy in there with a gun and a hat, billy club, kind of lounging around. No bank guards at all. Have you begun to notice that? It was because of a shift in thinking in America. A shift in thinking in America. So it used to be someone came and robbed a bank. Sometimes there was a shootout in the bank. Uh, most of us are more familiar with that from movie scenarios than ever having actually been in a bank when it's been robbed. But the bank robber was a common thing in America. Generally a person or a group of people. Uh, a person or a group of people. No, Glenn, I'm not starting over. Uh, showing up at a bank with guns and demanding cash. Oftentimes there were shootouts. People held hostage. Uh, you know, so uh, uh, in my uh, lifetime, there's the movie Dog Day Afternoon about a infamous hostage taking in a bank in New York in the early 70s. And Al Pacino played the, the character who masterminded, uh, and that, I use that term loosely because it was such a clusterfuck, the bank robbery. Somewhere along the way, there was a whole change in thinking. And the change in thinking was, why get shot? Which is a very good question. Okay? Why risk life and limb? And the plan then was, if someone came in and demanded money, that the tellers were just supposed to give them the money and then let them leave the bank before they notified anyone. Give them the money, let them leave the bank, be clear of the bank, before they notified the authorities. The thought being that why, you know, that this stuff's FDIC insured, the money's insured. Your money in a bank is insured by the federal government up to $250,000. If the bank fails, blah, blah, blah. You know, so much money is digital. So there was a change in thinking in how we protect banks. You didn't see a lot of high-speed shootouts on the street anymore. No big shootouts in front of banks or anything. And probably a good thing. But that led to, for a number of years, an increase in bank robberies. And then I read a report one time that said most people who only rob one bank get away with it. <laughs> Tim Lawson said, just got elected to government office, no need to rob a bank. Just get elected. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, they get away with it. Uh, and the guy who was writing the article, a cop, said the problem for them is they're greedy. And once they do it, they do it again. And once they do it again, they do it again. And eventually they get caught. So I'm not saying to rob a bank. Do not rob a bank. Do not rob anyone. Okay? But if you do, once. <laughs> all right. So the name of the book, it's full of all kinds of cool stuff. Like If I could just find, where's the chapter? I've already read this part. The truth of the matter is I had something else that I was going to present today and then Shirley pointed out that I had uh, already uh, presented it. Um, uh, we're only trying to help. When to rob a bank? Page 223. Let's go to it, shall we? 223. Mm -hmm. 1821. And keep in mind, I'm just reading this. It is not an endorsement. Uh, I recently read about a man who robbed six banks in New Jersey, but only on Thursdays. No reason was given for choosing that particular day, the article noted. 
Perhaps he knew something about how the bank did business. Perhaps his astrologist told him Thursday was lucky. Perhaps it simply said his schedule. Uh, when this book came out, and it's a number of years ago, it said, according to the FBI, there are roughly 5,000 bank robberies a year in the U.S. Friday is easily the busiest weekday. There are relatively few, few robberies on the weekend. So if you're going to go to a bank, best time, and don't want to worry about it being robbed while you're there, go on the weekend. Uh, with 1,042 Friday robberies, followed by Tuesday with 922, da, 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 da. There's no evidence that any one day is more likely successful than the other. We'll get into this more and find out uh, more about it. But I just told you my information on it. All right, let's get to the music, shall we? And by the way, uh, if you ever thought I would like to uh, sound as foolish and silly as him on, uh, uh, let's see, uh, David Van Winkle says, with all the cameras now, it's a lot more difficult to get away with. Yes, David, but we're all wearing masks. You didn't think about that. Uh, <laughs> um, um, if you ever thought about doing stand-up comedy I got a free intro to my stand-up comedy workshops uh, This coming Tuesday At 6pm Arizona time Mountain Standard time 6pm This coming Tuesday July 14th uh, If you want a, a password and Zoom code to check it out Just go to comedyschools.com It's all right there And we'd love to lay out our program for you This Tuesday Let's get to the music First, we're going to go with an offbeat one. This is Sandy Nelson, Beat That Drum. Sandy Nelson, Beat That Drum. This album, or at least the song, sold one million copies. And they're almost all instrumental. They're almost all instrumental, and they're almost all drum-oriented. Sandy Nelson was one of the great drummers of the late 50s, early 60s. Um, as is well known, every generation has one outstanding drummer and as is also well known, Sandy Nelson is the man of today to call him prolific would be true to call him exciting. Be certainly true. And to call him contagious is definite on here. He does versions of sunshine, Superman, hanky panky, the work song charge, wild thing, wipe out over on day sideways down. And what else? Ain't Too Proud to Beg, Beat That Drum, and Summer in the City. All instrumentals, all drum versions. Okay? That's how good he was. Uh, you could even write here at that time to the Sandy Nelson fan club. Uh, it was ran by a guy named Dick Dorwart. Dick Dorwart. It was 3717 Council Street, Los Angeles, California, 90004. Uh, Sandy Nelson was a great session drummer. He played on a lot of uh, stuff in the late 50s and early 60s. That was a big hit. Uh, he got in an automobile accident sometime in the early 70s and lost part of his right foot and leg and continued to play. But you know when they say that God, that man plans and God laughs, you know, uh, here was a man who made his, a living with, and if you know anything about drums, you're not just making a living with your arms. It's with your arms and uh, both feet, both legs, who lost one of it, but continue to work continuously from then. So if you're looking for something really kind of offbeat and weird to listen to, uh, YouTube Sandy Nelson, and then listen to some of uh, his work because it's really quite amazing. Okay? Uh, there have been few drummers who uh, have uh, fronted bands, fronted bands, uh, most notably uh, Don Henley, uh, and Phil Collins, both uh, Don Henley ended up pretty much fronting the Eagles. Phil Collins fronting Genesis. Uh, in Phil Collins' case, once he really started fronting Genesis, 
He moved out from behind the drum kit. Don Henley eventually moved out from behind the drum kit. But if you ever see the video from uh, Hotel California, he's singing the whole thing while playing the drums. Um, Buddy Rich, of course. Buddy Rich and Buddy Rich Band. Incredible jazz drummer. And Gene Krupa going back into the 40s. Uh, all drummers are a little crazy. Uh, I played drums uh, when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, and through high school. Uh, I quit inexplicably for some reason. Sometime when I was 18 or 19. So uh, I sold my drum kit for uh, 100 bucks. I could buy some uh, some weed, motherfuckers. <laughs> all drummers are nuts. Uh, I used to like to listen to Tom Petty's radio show, God Rest His Soul. Uh, repeat still run of his Buried Treasures where he would play his favorite music. And he was talking about some song where they let the drummer go on and on for about almost a minute after the song ended. And he goes, I'd never do that in my band. We'd fire that drummer. Because first off, drummers aren't musicians. They hang out with musicians. So, <laughs> so uh, truth be known, it was known that Tom Petty was fond of drummers, but liked to tease them quite a bit. Now, the second piece, and we're going through some big stuff lately. A lot of times I'm recommending stuff like Sandy Nelson that's real offbeat that uh, you may have never heard of or stuff that you may have forgotten that you liked when you were young. Shirley and I don't now do something in the morning where we, um, where we, uh, uh, I'll actually go and open up the Billboard Top 100 from a given year and then, last, then ask Alexa to play certain songs. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool. You know, I listened to Mary Lee Rush's version of Angel in the Morning today from the 60s. Much better than Juice Newton's, even though hers is pretty cool. This next album, of course, we all know who this guy is. Billy Joel. This is one of his massive monsters. This is 52nd Street. Okay, and it had huge hits on it. Big Shot, Honesty, My Life. Uh, those may have been the three big uh, biggies off of here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 52nd Street was not that big. Um, but those were the three monsters. Big Shot, Honesty, and of course, My Life was a massive, massive hit. Billy Joel was beloved by my generation from the time of his hit song, in the uh, early uh, 70s, early mid-70s, Piano Man. Piano Man seemed to speak to us because so many of us were beginning to hang out in nightclubs and bars, and nightclubs and bars were changing from uh, places that our parents went to and where uh, rednecks would beat us up uh, to places where uh, a new generation that was coming of age in the 70s could hang out. We were no longer uh, drinking wine, uh, leaning up against our car, in a parking lot somewhere past the joint, we could, we're now old enough, are old enough that we looked old enough and they weren't as strict with IDs back then to go and hang out in nightclubs. And a lot of those nightclubs, there were always these musicians who were uh, either guitar players, folk players, or piano people. And uh, we really just connected with that song. Our generation connected with that song. And then connected with Billy Joel for a decade, for a decade or even more. We so connected with him. Somehow, and I don't know why, but he became a personal punchline. I think uh, he got into heavy drinking. The big joke, of course, is that he wrote, um, I love you just the way you are for his wife. Uh, don't go changing, you know. Uh, and then uh, left her for Christy Brinkley. <laughs> but uh, a lot of heavy drinking in the Hamptons, and I think got arrested several times, and then kind of got uh, some sort of weird, creepy old man status for a while, which is sad. But happens a lot. Uh, but uh, an incredible player. 
one of those guys who seem to be able to write hit after hit after hit without ever really selling out in his uh, art or his music. Never going, all right, what do you guys need? You need some sort of you know cheesy pop hit. I'll do it. I'll do it for the money. He never appeared to be doing it for the money. He just knew how to write great hit songs that we all loved so very much. And that's a lot of times that's the artist that any of us who aspire to be an artist uh, would like to be. The uh, iconoclastic, uh, authentic artist who speaks or shares or sings or writes from their heart that then um, uh, connects, connects with a, a large group of people. And those guys are rare. Those guys are rare. All right. Um, you can put Warren Zevon in that category, but Warren was never as big as Billy Joel. Billy Joel was a bona fide rock star for a certain period of time. All right. We're going to wrap it up for today. Uh, it's going to be time to go. I enjoyed our time together. This half hour goes by fast for me now. I hope you enjoy every minute of it. I enjoy doing it. Write us card. Drop us a card. Drop us a letter. Uh, I love it when you comment here. I get a kick out of it. Uh, let us know you're out there. We appreciate it so very much. Uh, if you know anybody who wants to do stand-up comedy, next Tuesday, 6 p.m., go to ComedySchools.com and attend our free intro. Other than that, I'll see you tomorrow at 2 p.m. My name's Tony Vizic, living on a thin line. Bye-bye.